This morning, we're continuing our series in the book of 2 Timothy. And even though that's where we will be for the majority of our time together today, I want to begin this morning in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3 in particular, because in that chapter, we witness a pivotal moment in redemptive history, the moment when Adam and Eve were deceived by the crafty serpent and disobeyed the direct command of God. You may remember that earlier in Genesis, in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God had given Adam and Eve a command. He allowed them to look at all the trees of the garden and said, you can eat of any of these except the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat of that tree, the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. Now there was purpose in this command. The opportunity for Adam and Eve to glorify God by actively choosing him as the highest good. In in a paradise, They were surrounded by the best of creation. This one restriction was an opportunity for them to show that they trusted God and they trusted in what he said. But the serpent being used in some way by our enemy, Satan, takes the word of God and manipulates it to try to get Adam and Eve to be about his will rather than God's. He comes to Eve in chapter three, verse one, and asks her, did God really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Well, that's not what God said. And Eve, of course, answers correctly. No, that's not what he said. We can't eat of this tree because if we eat of this tree, we will die. And so the enemy presses into the restriction in verses four and five. Well, Eve, what God said is not true. If you eat of that tree, you're not going to die. No, what you're going to do is become like him. You're going to have this knowledge that he wants for himself. And, And as the enemy presses in to Eve, suddenly she begins to look at this tree in a different way. And the fruit, the Bible says, became pleasing to her eye. So she took the fruit and disobeying God, ate of it. And then she gave it to Adam and he disobeying God ate it. And in that moment, sin was introduced into the created order. And as a result, a battle began to wage within us between what God has said and what we believe about what God has said. And church, that battle continues to this day. Because just like the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, our enemy is still using instruments, people, to author confusion, to make us doubt the goodness of what God has said and lead us to destruction, to try to lead us to serve his will rather than God's. And that's what Paul is warning warning Timothy about in our passage today in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says to his son in the faith, Timothy, there are men who have been a part of this church in Ephesus, men who are leading God's people astray by what they are teaching. They're they're spreading false teaching, teaching that's contrary to the gospel. They're, They're asking people, did God really say? And you, as a pastor, elder, leader, overseer of this church, as a shepherd of the people of God, you must protect the church. 
More than that, you must protect the teaching, the witness of the gospel of Christ. You cannot allow these people that have been entrusted to you to be deceived. You must engage it. And the hope that they will be delivered, and even perhaps these false teachers, that they would be delivered. The gospel is on the line. And what an important message, church, for us today. Because as you know, there are many within the so-called church that are swerving from right doctrine. From what God has said explicitly is true and right in his word. And today provides us with an opportunity to be reminded as workers of the gospel to hold fast to the gospel. As workers for Christ, to hold fast to the message and the witness of Christ. We must be diligent in our commitment to the truth of what God has said so that we can discern error when it tries to creep into our fellowship. And more than that, to help those who have been captured by it be delivered from it. Now, of course, this is a, a task given here primarily to the pastors of the church. But it's also a task for all the church because all of us are entrusted with the gospel. So let's look together, church, at this challenge that Paul offers to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Here's what the word of God says. Remind them, Timothy, remind them of these things. And charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, because it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection, the, resurrection of, the resurrection of the dead has already happened, and they're upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows whose are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies, you know that they just breed more quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, because God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses, escaping from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now in our passage today, there are three clear, distinct sections, each defined by an image, an image that Paul wants to use to encourage Timothy in his work 
and the call to hold fast to the gospel. In verses 14 to 19, Paul encourages Timothy to think of himself as a worker, a worker who's been approved by God. In verses 20 to 23, he encourages Timothy to think of himself as an honorable vessel to be used by God. And then in verses 24 to 26, he encourages Timothy to think of himself as a servant, a faithful servant of God. And all of these images serve the ultimate end that Paul is, is challenged Timothy to, challenging Timothy to think about of protecting this church in Ephesus and protecting the message of the gospel. So let's see how Paul utilizes these images to encourage Timothy in the hope that we would be encouraged as well. Firstly, Timothy, be a worker approved, approved by God. Paul begins the section by instructing Timothy to encourage the leaders of the church. That's who he's talking about here in verse 14. Remind them, remind the ones that you are raising up and trusting with the gospel to not quarrel about words, but rather to stand on the word. Don't, don't quarrel about words. No, you stand on the word of God and trust in its power because that is what makes you an approved worker of God. Those who rightly handle the word of truth, those who trust in its God-given ability to, to rise above what is not true, those are the workers that God desires and receives. Now, apparently, there are some who have been in leadership at the church in Ephesus, some who are a part of the fellowship, who have been teaching the wrong things. They have not been handling the word of truth rightly. They've not been a, a worker approved by God. There are two who are mentioned here in the letter. Their names are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now, we don't know much about these men, but we do know that Hymenaeus was mentioned in Paul's first letter to Timothy. We see that in chapter 1, verse 20. And Paul says, he, this Hymenaeus, along with another guy named uh, Alexander, have been turned over to Satan because of their false teaching. Now, essentially what this means is they've been excommunicated. They've been subject to church discipline. Their teaching was so dangerous that Paul said, we got to remove them from the church. Now, we're not 100% sure about what they're teaching, but at least some element of it has to do with the resurrection. Paul says, these men have swerved from the truth because they are saying that the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of those who are in Christ, has already happened. Now, here's why this is dangerous. They're doing something called syncretism. And we mentioned this earlier when Pastor Desta was up here. They're taking parts of the true gospel of Jesus, parts of what Paul has taught them about the faith that's been passed down once and for all to all the saints. And they're merging it with other beliefs, other philosophical beliefs of the day. In this case, in particular, they're, they're merging it with something called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was a philosophy that was prevalent during this time. You hear a lot about it in the Bible. And essentially what they said was all matter is evil. Anything flesh, anything material, it's evil. And so what these men were doing, they were taking teaching like Paul offers in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, that indeed we have already been raised with Christ at our salvation. And that's true. 
There's a, there's a spiritual resurrection that happens when we come into Christ. We are given new life. And they are taking that and they are merging it with Gnosticism to say, no, listen, the only resurrection you need is the resurrection that took place at your salvation. You just need a spiritual resurrection because what we're trying to do is escape this world. We're trying to escape anything that's matter. And so all you need is the promise of a spiritual resurrection. And that's what you have in Jesus. And let me just tell you a little bit why this is dangerous. Why what they are teaching is so dangerous they were removed from the church. Their teaching is limiting the scope of the full work of Christ and the promise of the resurrection. They're restricting our hope and, and denying the full power of God. Are they saying that, that God doesn't have the ability to rescue everything that was touched by the fall? Is his power so restricted that the only hope he can give us is a spiritual hope? No, the scripture is clear, friends, that, that the work of redemption is meant to touch every single part of creation that was affected by the fall, not just the spiritual, but also the physical. And the resurrection of Christ is the proof. How was Jesus resurrected? Was he only resurrected in a spiritual way? No, he was bone and flesh. You could touch him. And the whole point of that is to show the fullness of the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. These men are calling that into question. Moreover, what they teach leads to other heresies dealing with the person of Christ, the incarnation of Christ. If all flesh is bad, all matter is bad, then how could a holy and righteous God take on that flesh? Was he fully human? He must be. He must be fully human to represent us, to take our place upon the cross. But what they are teaching introduces an error that has been fought, corrected throughout the history of the church. It must, it must be removed because it's contrary to what God has said. Now these teachers... Although they've been kicked out, there's still a little bit of influence. And there are people in the church who are still vulnerable to their teaching. And if, if Timothy's not careful, if he doesn't do his job, they could be led astray. So Timothy, Paul says, you, you hold fast to the word of God. And you help them by holding fast to the word of God. You work. You be a worker. You work to understand the word of God. Now, and there's work to that, right? Anybody who's read the Bible knows that we got to work to try to understand it. Now it's spirit empowered work. And we have a, a great community to help us toward this end, but it is work nonetheless. We need to press into it. And he says, Timothy, you work to, to understand the word of God, to be able to communicate it, to clarify this false teaching and to rebuke it because we don't want anyone to be entrapped. You show from God's word and the teaching that's been entrusted to you the full hope of the gospel and you identify this false teaching for what it is, a reverent babble, a disease that needs to get out of 
the church. Because if you don't, it will spread like gangrene and it will threaten the witness of the church. It will dilute the gospel rather than adorn it. And along the way, you'll show yourself to be approved by God because you're rightly handling it. So be a worker. Secondly, be an honorable vessel for God. Paul moves to this image of of vessels that are used in a house. He says that in a house, there are are two kinds of vessels. Let's think about serving plates, all right? You've got good and silver, or gold and silver, and you've got wood and clay. The way this could translate for us today is you've got the fine china, and you've got the paper plates, right? The fine china that we hardly ever use, and the paper plates that we use all the time. But we intuitively know when we're supposed to get out the fine china. When you want to impress someone, when you care a lot about what you're presenting and and to whom you are presenting the meal, you get out the best that you have. And Paul is telling Timothy, you need to consider yourself and those that are being entrusted with the gospel as part of the fine china. And you need to seek to stay a part of this fine china so that God can continue to serve the, the banquet of the gospel through you. You want to, again, adorn the gospel, not distract from the gospel. He says to Timothy, because of that, you need to flee youthful passions. Verse 22. You need to flee the fascination with what is new for the sake of being new. You know, some people read the Bible and they have a a thought and they think, I'm the only one who's ever had this thought. You know, oh, I, I discovered something new. And I had a professor tell me one time, Jared, if you discover something new that hasn't been discovered in 2000 years of the church, you may have just stepped into heresy. So be careful. You're telling me nobody but the power of the Holy Spirit reading the word of God has seen what you have seen until this point, be careful, right? Don't, don't just be attracted to something because it's new. Is it true? Is the question we have to ask. Flee the temptation to debate nonsense just for the sake of debate, of argument. Flee foolish and ignorant controversies that simply breed more quarrels. Flee anything that's not honoring to the God to God that would stain your witness, your reputation, that would cause you to become a stumbling block, something the Lord would not want to serve his gospel upon because your primary objective is to serve Jesus. And that leads us to the third image, verses 24 to 26, this faithful servant of God. Timothy, rather than giving yourself to foolish things, give yourself to faithful service to Christ, his gospel, his people. Don't quarrel, be kind. Teach God's word. Show them in God's word what is true. And when these false teachers come against you because you're threatening their ability to influence people, you're threatening their ability to, to maybe raise money off of what they are saying, you endure the attacks by standing on God's word. You correct with gentleness, but trust that the word of God and the power of the spirit will bring about the right fruit because God knows whose are his. And the hope is that through the faithful ministry of the word, those who are his will be rescued and able to escape the snare of the devil. Don't take it offensively when they come after you. Remember, they're deceived. 
They're deceived. And they need to be brought out of the snare of the enemy. Because isn't that what Christ did for you? Isn't that what, what Christ did for us? Can we just take a moment and celebrate the work of rescue that Christ has has done for all of us who call upon his name for salvation. When we were deceived by our sin, when we were deceived by our longings for what God has said was not good, God faithfully, patiently allowed us to hear the word of truth, to hear the gospel message proclaimed and respond. Our deception was corrected with gentleness being moved by the love that, that God has shown us in Christ. It was his kindness that drew us and brought us to repentance. Romans 2 verse 4. So Timothy, you do the same. You, you declare the gospel. And as you declare the gospel, you evidence the Christ of the gospel. Helping them to see you or see Christ through you. Be a worker, approved by God. Be a, a vessel for honorable use and serve Jesus Christ for his glory and the good of the church. The gospel's on the line. Now, let's think about how we can receive those encouragements from Paul today. Because although they were certainly for Timothy, they are for us in God's wisdom and the way that he has preserved these words through the work of the Holy Spirit. So how can Paul's encouragement become our encouragement today? Let me just offer three encouragements for us, building upon these images. Firstly, church, let us work to rightly handle the word of truth. Let's work to rightly handle the word of truth. It should be our desire, a deep and abiding desire as the people of God to know and delight in the revelation of God to us in scripture. We should be a Bible-saturated people doing our best to understand it rightly and communicate it rightly. Because how can we know? How can, we, how can we know what words are true words when it comes to the thing of things of God and help others know as well? How do we discern what is glorious revelation and what is irreverent babble? The scripture. This is, this is the gift of God toward us and the perfect spirit-inspired witness to God's redemptive activity fully realized in Christ. We must hold fast to this word. And there's work that we must engage in to hold fast. Certainly a work for pastors and those who preach God's word from the pulpit. And let me just commit to you again, or at least declare over you our commitment, the commitment of anyone who steps on this stage behind this pulpit to declare the word of God. Our aim is to rightly handle the, worth, the, the word of truth. What our desire is, is to open the word of God and allow God to speak over us through the presentation of his word. And so here's our approach 
throughout the week. Here's what I do every week and what everyone who preaches does. We sit before the scripture, the passage that we are in. We read it over and over and over again. We pray over and ask God to give us understanding beyond our understanding. We try to understand it in the context of that particular book in the context of all of Scripture, we consult with other trusted, approved workers throughout the history of the church who have handled the word rightly to make sure that, that we are seeing it in a way that is consistent with the, the once and for all faith entrusted to the people of God. Because we want you to hear from God. And we want you to know more of what God has said in his word. That's why we're committed to expository preaching here. That's why we, we go to different books of the Bible from the Old Testament and the New Testament and preach straight through them because we want to expose you to as much of the word of God as possible, connect it for you so that you can have a growing development of the mind of Christ. That's, that's our goal and our hope here and what we desire to do. It's also what every teacher on this, this campus within the ministry of Bayleaf desires to do. We gather around the word of God because we believe that that is the way that God forms and shapes us as a people. We want you to know the truth of God's word so that you can discern it. That's our responsibility as preachers and teachers here at Bayleaf. But I also want you to say, see that you have a responsibility as well to help make sure what is being proclaimed from the pulpit and other places of teaching within the walls of this building or, or under the authority of this church is faithful. You need to study the word of God so that if at any moment you hear something that is not right, you can speak into it to make sure that we don't venture or wander off as a people. We are called to sharpen one another. We believe in the priesthood of the believer here, that all of us have the spirit of God and all of us can read the word of God. You don't need me to understand the word. You have the Holy Spirit. We need each other. So listen, just because someone has the place of authority in a church, or even within Christendom, does not mean that they are always faithful in what they say. Because men can be deceived and we can make mistakes. And the beauty of the church is that the Spirit can use any of us to guard the gospel. Any of us. So we need to know the word of God. So that if something hits our ear and you think, oh, I got a red flag about that. Jerry, did you say this? Because I thought Paul wrote this over here. And, and, and if we're, listen, if we're humble and God's word is our authority, then we should be able to sit before the word of God and say, okay, let me hear what you're saying. Let me see what I said. Now, what does the Bible say? Because that's what we have to arrive at. And if I'm wrong, I'm gonna own it. Because what matters not, it doesn't matter to me as much that I'm right or wrong. What matters to me is that we hold the scripture rightly. That's our commitment here. In small group settings, when you hear those famous words, here's what the Bible is saying to me here. If the Bible, or if they've read something that the Bible does not say, it's our responsibility and kindness and love and gentleness to say, hey, listen, I actually think that may be wrong. Let me tell you what's right and why I think it's good that you know this. If we are doing 
the work of the church as brothers and sisters, we should be willing to have those conversations in gentleness, with kindness, but because of how we love one another. You don't want your brother or sister to stay in error. You want them to be freed from that so they can walk forward in truth. Let's work to rightly handle the word of truth together. Secondly, let's strive to protect our usefulness in the ministry of the word. To have lives that adorn the gospel. Let's flee youthful passions. Now, you hear that word youthful passions, and probably most of you who walked with us through the story of Joseph kind of immediately go to the story of Joseph and him fleeing the temptation with Potiphar's wife. You have that kind of sexual immorality or lust thought creep in. And that's certainly something we should flee, but Paul is talking about something much broader when he talks about youthful passions here. The call here is to flee immaturity and pursue sober-mindedness, to pursue maturity in Christ through the ministry of the Spirit and the Word. Do you remember when you were young, the silly things you would fight over? I get to see this firsthand sometimes. Kids fight over the smallest things. Who gets to play with what toy? Who gets the last piece of cookie? Who gets to go first when we play I Spy? When I was young, we would debate over which boy band was the best. And clearly it's in sync. And so I don't know why anybody (laughs) would fight back against that. But the hope is, as we mature, as we grow, as we... As we get older, we recognize that there are some things that are not worth fighting over. That it's okay if we don't win on occasion. It's okay if we don't get our way sometimes. In fact, in the community of faith, it's important that we don't get our way sometimes. Because we're called to love. Sacrificial love. Mutuality. I'm okay with not getting what I want because it serves the greater good. And this is hard because our culture doesn't seem to be maturing very well of late. Our society is filled with meaningless arguments. Think about it. Every news organization has debate shows. Every sports channel has has their, their days filled with people sitting across tables, a table arguing about the the most ridiculous things, like when will the Cowboys finally win another Super Bowl? When will Carolina finally start a football program? Uh, see, and some of you are gonna walk, around, walk away angry today. I'm just kidding, y'all got your championships. And why do they do this? Why do, why do news channels and sports channels fill their programming with endless streams of meaningless debates because of us. Because we watch it. Because we delight in it. Even political debates, the nastier they are, the more we're attracted to it. Right? But friends, we cannot let the spirit of irreverent babble make its way inside the church. There are some things that are not worth fighting over. Foolish controversies must be seen as foolish because there are some things that that are worth fighting over. And if we spend all of our oxygen 
and all of our words fighting on the things that won't matter, we will lose our ability. We will lose the, the effectiveness with which we fight for the things that do matter. If all you do is complain all the time about everything, you may lose the ability to speak into the things that actually matter. Be careful. Don't get lost in the noise. Friends, we must pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace together with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And that means that we have the maturity given to us by the ministry of the word and the spirit to know what is worth contending for and what is, letting, is worth letting go. Not every hill is a hill worth dying on. So let me give you some questions. Is what you're upset about, what you're arguing over, is it a preference or is it a first importance? Is it not exactly how you would do it or is it dishonoring to God? Is it a family conversation or something that's worth dividing over? These are important questions to ask to make sure that in those moments when conflict arises, in those moments when we do need to have a family discussion, a conversation, we are pursuing and talking about the right things. If we're to be a, a community of mutuality and self-sacrifice because of our love for him, and our love for one another, we must be careful to not let foolish things become gangrenous and spread through our church. That's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants a divided people, not a unified people. Finally, let us serve the Lord by protecting his people. Not just defense, let's be on offense. When we see people being caught up in controversy, when we see other brothers and sisters being led astray, when there's something that the word of God says that we must engage with, then church, let's engage gently and with truth. Now, here's the deal. At Bayleaf, our, our pastors, our leadership, we seek to kind of head this off by trying not to expose our church to those who have false teaching. We don't want to introduce them in the first place. Because again, there are people with platforms. There are people who are played on Christian radio that should not be trusted. People with microphones that have not stewarded the gospel well. Now listen, I'm not saying that everything these people say is wrong or inconsistent with scripture. But maybe there's one thing or something in the course of their teaching that is so out of bounds, it calls into question the, the usefulness of everything else. So, there are Bible studies that we will not recommend here. And we would encourage you not to engage with. They certainly won't be taught under the umbrella of ministry here at Bayleaf. There are songs that we will not sing as a congregation on Sunday morning because we don't want to open a door to someone to hear or read things that would cause confusion. Now, you know, as a, as a worship ministry here, we desire to, to bring out the best of the old and the new. But we need to be careful about the new because sometimes they're attached to ministries that have teaching that is dangerous to the local church. And although you may like the song on the radio, if you go and listen to the record, some of that teaching is included. Or you may go to the website of the church where that, that song was written and begin to listen to teaching there that we believe is contrary to the gospel. 
And so we just won't introduce that here as a, as a goal, with the goal to protect us and the local body, to not introduce something the enemy could use to bring about a, a stumbling block. But even then, and the ways that we try to protect our church, sometimes our brothers and sisters are still exposed. And we need to work together to sharpen each other so that the enemy doesn't have a foothold. And listen, we know our society is, is promoting things that will try to infiltrate the gospel or infiltrate our church and compromise our witness. We know our society is promoting a radical individualization that threatens the foundation of this community built on love and mutual sacrifice. We know our culture has elevated personal freedom and liberty above accountability to God and being subject to what he has said is good. We know those things. I hope we see them as dangerous. But perhaps what is more dangerous is the false teaching that's coming from within, within the church. Not here, thank God, but from people who claim to be a part of the church. There are those who want to manipulate the gospel for their own purposes to pursue or to, to enhance their own ambitions. And they might not even be fully aware of the false teaching because they have not done the work to understand or to submit to the word of God. Now, the easiest example for us to talk about this morning as a way of example is the prosperity gospel. Hopefully you've heard that term before so that you can be on guard against it. We've talked about it here. Let me talk about it again. The prosperity gospel is a distortion of the gospel, the true gospel that says this, God rewards increases in faith that are under our control with increases in material wealth or physical health. So if you can muster enough faith, you can claim and be entitled to more wealth and physical health. It's a teaching that proclaims the assurance, the guarantee of divine physical health and prosperity through faith, health and wealth. They're the automatic divine right of all Bible-believing Christians and may be procreated by faith as a part of the package of salvation because in their understanding of the atonement of Christ, it doesn't just include the removal of sin, it does, but also the removal of any sickness and any poverty. What's dangerous about it is that it builds on true things in the gospel. What it does is it merges those true things of the gospel with things that we already want in our flesh. Power. Money, comfort, healing, freedom from all those sicknesses. And listen, God did promise some of those things in some ways. But listen, our hope is not in this world. The full realization of all those promises is in a new heaven and a new earth with a new glorified body. But it appeals to us because in our flesh, we want those things, all of it here and now, free of suffering free of any difficulty. And that's not what God promised. And here's the difficulty. When you embrace that mentality and any moment of difficulty comes, any disease that leads to death, and by the way, all of us will die unless Jesus returns of something, it threatens the foundation of our gospel hope. It, it creates disappointment in God from something he never promised. And it's crazy how, how much that prosperity gospel and word of faith teaching 
that name it, claim it. I'm going I'm to claim this in the name of Jesus. I'm going to have enough faith, even though faith's a gift from the Lord, right? I'm going to claim this, and God's going to make it happen. We turn God into a genie. That's not who he is. We don't want him to be our servants. We're his servants. What kind of God would that be? If we just recreated him in our image, instead of allowing him to create us in his. We gotta be careful, friends. It's so pervasive. It's crazy how many songs you listen to where this, is, this teaching is kind of put in. It's crazy how many times it's referenced on Christian radio. Be careful. I'm not saying you can't listen to any of that stuff. Just have your, your spiritual ears up. And if you have questions, if you have concerns, come talk to us. Because we'd love to help guide you to places where the, green, the grass is greener and a little bit safer. Give you some fences to help you and your kids as you think about creating a common space for the work of Christ. So friends, let's work together to remain committed to the true gospel to only delight in what is true, regardless of how hard it is to hear sometimes and place our hope in, in promises that have come directly from God. And the hope is, as we confront these places where, the, where a false gospel may be coming in, that not only will the people who are starting to be deceived be delivered from that, but maybe even these false teachers themselves. Because God knows who are his and he will bring all who are his to him to enjoy the full resurrection, spiritual and physical, on that day when Christ returns. So can we hold fast to the gospel? It's the message that God has used to lead us to salvation. It's the divine stewardship that we have been given. So let's guard it, rightly handle it, and let's trust God to, dis to display his power through it as we seek to make disciples of all nations for his glory. Wherever you are, you bow your heads. Asking the Lord to help you know how to respond this morning. Let me just first address any of you in the room who would say, Jared, I don't know that I'm a follower of Christ. I've never given my life to Jesus, but I recognize now that perhaps I have been deceived. I have been living for the wrong things. I haven't been pursuing a life that's been honoring to God, but one that's just been only concerned about myself and I need to repent of that and believe in Jesus for salvation. And if that's you today and you feel the Lord has in his kindness to you as we've sat before his word today, begin to open your eyes to things that you've never seen, but you're recognizing that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he, he would do for you to save you and you want to commit your life to him, then I would just invite you in just a minute to come up here to the front. I have some pastors and ministers up here. I'd love to pray with you and encourage you to follow Christ. And for the rest of us who are in Jesus, well, we seek to be used by God by holding fast to his gospel. Would you pray for our church that we would continue to rightly handle the word of truth? that we would grow to love the scripture because it is a gift, the revelation of God to us, the witness of the redemptive work that God has secured for us in Jesus. 
We want to guard this good deposit and entrust it to others. And would we protect our usefulness in the ministry of the word that, that our lives would not communicate something different from what our, our tongues say? We would flee youthful passions and be unified under the authority of scripture. And would you ask God to protect our church from false teachers and to help us have courage in those moments where something is worthy of discussing and rebuking, that we would do it, but in a way that reveals Christ, not in a way that is contrary to Christ, so that those who are deceived may be one. The power of the gospel, the power of your word, would capture them. Father, would you help us be a more faithful people because of our time before your word today. Help us to respond in a way that brings you glory and honor, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stay in church and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.